Welcome to Marrow Masters, sponsored by Farmer Sicklis and Jansen and Cadman, a Sanofi company. The National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, established in 1992, strives to help patients, caregivers, and families cope with the psychosocial challenges of bone marrow and stem cell transplant from diagnosis through survivorship. Season 7 of our Marrow Masters podcast series focuses on chronic graft-versus-host disease and the long haul some survivors face. Unfortunately, chronic GVHD can last for months, even years. This season, we dig deep and hope to provide some relief. We talk to the experts, from healthcare professionals to survivors and caregivers, about the long-term struggles, setbacks, victories, treatment options, and more. We offer an abundance of resources and address all kinds of GVHD-related issues, including despair, advocacy, mobility, nutrition, sleep issues, caregiving, reproductive and sexual health, intimacy, and more. Our guests share their expertise and insight to help those frustrated and struggling with chronic GVHD to persevere and live their best life. Here's your host, Executive Director of the National Bone Marrow Transplant Link, Peggy Burkhardt. Welcome, everyone. Today, we have Julianne Belisle with us. Julianne is a licensed social worker in both Ohio and Kentucky. Julianne works for Cancer Family Care, Inc., and I will let Julianne share more about this wonderful Cincinnati-based nonprofit momentarily. I learned of Julianne, actually, from a wonderful survivor who shared how instrumental and incredible Julianne was to her in her early survivorship. I could not wait to meet Julianne and learn more from her. I promise you, you will be inspired and thankful you tuned in. Hi, Julianne. Thank you so much for being with us today. Please share with us today what it is you do and more about Cancer Family Care. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Cancer Family Care compassionately empowers strength for cancer patients, family members, and children impacted by a diagnosis or a loss due to cancer. We serve the greater Cincinnati area, and we've been doing so since 1971, and we're proud to be here. Uh, We have a number of psychosocial supportive programming for both patients, uh, caregivers, family members who are coping with a diagnosis or a loss due to cancer. Some of the things that we provide are individual and family counseling. We also offer what we call treehouse services, where we will see children individually or at school or in groups. And we have a Camp Courage, which is a summer camp for children for one day. Um, We do coping connections, which means that people have an opportunity to call and ask questions, any question, and just, you know, kind of get an answer from an unbiased person about maybe a concern they have about their cancer diagnosis. And then we also offer uh, free wigs for people who've had cancer or free massage and uh, free healing touch for patients. That's terrific. So we're going to break it down today. We're going to talk about chronic graft-versus-host disease and the unique issues it presents as far as the psychosocial and emotional needs of long haulers. Yeah, so we know that today cancer is much more of a chronic disease and it has a lot of chronic management that goes with it. And even when a treatment is all done, coping and chronic treatment effects continues sometimes for years, um, especially with chronic graft-versus-host disease. Some of the unique issues is that, you know, the people around you expect you to be fine because you look fine. Sometimes you expect yourself to be fine because, you know, you're done with treatment and that message gets in. 
you never know when or where chronic graft versus host disease is going to show up, how severe it's going to be, or for how long it's going to stick around, or what other complications it's going to bring with it. You get tired of being sick and tired, and basically anxiety and depression and despair can set in. We see that so often, Julianne. Everything you are saying, we hear again and again all the time from patients. There's just this darkness and this fear that they're never really going to get out of it. Yeah, They're not going to get back to their lives again. So let's talk about the darkness and and ways to bring in the light. Yeah, so we use a combination of approaches um, so we can better understand our anxiety and our depression and pave new paths. You know, our brain is kind of like a highway. The path to anxiety and depression gets well paved. (laughs) Sure. When you're going through this initially, and we need to pave a new path towards calm and focus and presence. I like to explain that there's three parts of the brain. There's that frontal lobe part, and it's that thinking brain. It's our reasoning and our problem solving. It's our verbal expression and our memory specifically for events and facts. Then we have our limbic system, which is the majority, that middle brain. And it also, our limbic system holds our amygdala, which is our fight, flight, freeze, or submit response. It is our mammalian brain. It's what separates us from other animals. It is our nonverbal, it is our emotional, it's our gut feeling, it's our traumatic memories, it's our relational experiences. That's what's all held in there. And then we have our brain stem, which is our reptilian brain. It is our instinctive brain, it is our heart rate, it is our breathing. All of that, that happens without us thinking about it. So when you think about that, it's not unusual. It makes a lot more sense. You go to the doctor and you're hearing anxiety producing, you know, information. So that's going to be in your amygdala, which is where we're experiencing physically what this information. And obviously our memory, our frontal lobe for facts and events gets a little like cloudy or our language expression. When somebody says, do you understand? And you go, "Uh uh-huh. You know, your language expression gets interrupted there, too. So I often will tell people, like, anxiety is trying to predict the future, and it's looking for a coming threat. That's what our amygdala does. It's constantly looking for where's the threat coming from. And our depression is rooted in the past. It's rooted in regrets and shame and guilt. Um, I can't be what I was, all of that. Both are brought through our limbic system, that middle mammalian brain. Um, So that's really important. But anxiety and depression both cause a direct response in the body through our brainstem, that instinctive piece. So we notice that, you know, when we're depressed, we tend to do a lot more sighing, you know. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, True. when we're anxious, we have a heart, you know, we don't, I don't know what's wrong. My heart is racing, but I, I, I don't know what's wrong. You're anxious before you even cognitively think about it. So the smallest trigger can cause our brain to go speeding off down the anxiety and depression highway. Mm-hmm. And we need to utilize that whole brain to bring our thinking brain right back online and give us time to respond. So using some calming, like mindfulness, somatic, or guided imagery, all of those are new roads for the brain. That's terrific. And I definitely want to talk to you more in the future about doing some mindfulness stuff with our patients, because we just learn 
more and more how important that is and the difference that it makes. So let's break down the traumatic experiences and how to recalibrate and balance them with new experiences. Yeah. So we need to remember that traumatic experiences are held in the brain and therefore the brain needs new experiences to balance it. So if we've had a bad experience or just hearing the news, you have cancer, every experience after that has to assure that you're safe, you're safe, you're safe. And, you know, if you happen to arrive at the treatment center and everybody's running around and, you know, there's uh, somebody didn't show up today and they're short staffed, that all of a sudden automatically begins, well, you were safe, but you're not safe today. It like triggers before you're even aware of it, before you even have a thought. Mm. Yeah. So traumatic symptoms are things like irritability, loss of interest, numbing, decreased concentration. Um, a lot of people tell me I can't read a book anymore and I love reading. Um, insomnia, emotional overwhelm, no sense of the future, um, little to no memory, kind of feel foggy. I don't, I don't know what I did, you know, last week or what I had for breakfast. <laughs> um, sometimes nightmares or flashbacks, feeling really mistrustful. Mm. You know, even with our family members, we may be accusatory and not mean to be. We can be very hypervigilant and start kind of overreacting about things that aren't even, you know, on the radar right now. And we can be at risk for, you know, substance abuse and eating disorders um, and chronic pain and just a loss of who I am, that sense of who I am. So we need to take a new look. And that limbic system is there to protect us. Remember that limbic system, that fight, flight, freeze, or submit, it's there because it's trying to protect us. So instead of coming at it from the, I'm not going to be anxious, I'm not anxious, I'm not anxious, shut up, stop being anxious, you know, kind of coming from that place, we want to come to that, okay, my heart's racing. It probably means that I'm feeling anxious. My anxiety is trying to protect me. Where are my safety? I have my best friend with me, my doctor I trust, um, my favorite nurse is online today, or I've got, you know, as soon as I get home, we're playing Monopoly with the grandkids, whatever it is that is your safety, kind of really looking when you have that anxiety and saying, okay, it's there to protect me. Where is my safety? Mm -hmm. It's there to help you find it, you know? Almost like focusing on the positive too. Yeah. And sometimes just focusing on even the neutral. Sometimes mm -hmm. positive is too big of a jump. We need to focus on what's neutral, you know? Yeah, I like that. That makes sense. Yeah. So anxiety and depression are really there to help us and being self-critical doesn't help. Mm -hmm. We have to remember that if our amygdala is our fire alarm, ignoring a fire alarm is dangerous. <laughs> the goal to treating depression and anxiety is not to live without a fire alarm. We want to have that, but we don't want it to be taking over our life. That makes sense. I really appreciate that. I once heard that we can't think about two things at once. And I thought that was so interesting. You know, when you're having a really tough time, if you focus on something very positive, it will help you forget, mm -hmm. at least maybe for a little while where you're not obsessing about something. Right. Or having two different sensory experiences. 
you know, the brain gets a little fuddled if it has two different sensory experiences, which is part of the reason why paramedics carry lollipops. If you have a sweet, pleasurable lollipop in your mouth, your pain experience automatically goes down. Oh, really? Because it's contradictory. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's great. That reminds me of uh, our friends over at Immer and Angels. When I went to visit their office a few years ago, they put out, oh, what are those lemon candies? Yeah, the lemon heads. Yes, they have lemon heads right at the front desk. And, you know, I didn't know at the time, but I guess lemon is very good for people going through chemo. Absolutely. It takes away the nausea. So I thought that was so neat that they would think to do that for people. Yeah. To have these little boxes of lemon heads out for everyone. Yes. Yeah. Makes me want to go get some. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So moving on, let's talk about mindfulness again and techniques that we can all use. I mean, we could all just be so much better off, especially with the way our world is today. We all need some good, positive mindfulness. Yeah. So what do you suggest? Uh, So very basic this is all going to build on the same thing. But I often ask my clients, you know, where are your feet today? Because if we have our feet in the future, then our feet are in anxiety. We're constantly looking at like what's coming next, what's coming next. If our feet are in the past, then we're likely looking towards depression and regret. So if our feet are in the present, that's where we can um, really affect how we experience our moment. So really just we've got to, you know, kind of where are my feet today? Just noticing that is a really good start. And then from there, I think one of the things I strongly recommend is like reduce pollution. What's pollution for you? And it can be, I can't tell you what that is. It's going to be different for everybody. So for a lot of us, it can be caffeine or alcohol, or tobacco, or sugars, and sweeteners, (laughs) Um, social media, Mm -hmm. news, any of that can be pollution, um, where it just gets us overwhelmed and feeling like, yeah, I'm just not managing all the hard things I already have to manage, because these things are creating pollution. Okay. So, and then the other thing that I would say is we need to focus on breath, you know, because that's going to happen no matter what. That's that brainstem. But when we put our frontal lobe in line with our brainstem and we can now think about that automatic thing called breath, we can really power it up or make it our superpower. So building small breaks into the day to tune into your breathing I often recommend three breaths and I literally will write it on sticky notes for people and tell them you've got to put this in three places. Put it on your toothbrush, put it on your car horn, put it on, you know, so that you can build it into every day. Just those three breaths and closing your eyes and taking that breath in and out and noticing it. You don't need to be deep. It doesn't have to be a deep breath. Just notice what it feels like to breathe. And just by paying attention to it, we notice that our breath evens out. You know, I'm doing it right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So if we're really, I've had some times when people say, you know, like, well, I was doing my three breaths, and it really works most of the time. And then I got my numbers back. 
And it didn't, I, I tried my breaths, it didn't work. So then we need to kind of, again, we're using that brain to help us. We're using that whole brain. So we're going to use that to notice, put a hand on the back of the neck, one on the gut, and do our three breaths that way. Putting the hand on the back of the neck is a somatic technique that triggers the limbic, that brain system, that vagus nerve, that brain stem. Oh, I am focusing and turning down the dial. And putting that hand on the belly helps us like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to, when I inhale, the belly's supposed to go out. When I exhale, the belly's supposed to go in. Um, And so by doing that, it really kind of helps like, oh, okay, I'm really tuning that dial down. So that's terrific. Thank you for that. I hope everyone is doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you're driving, then don't do it. (laughs) No, (laughs) yes. Wait. (laughs) Yeah, as soon as you put the car in park, then you can do your breaths. Yeah, absolutely. Good idea. So our mindfulness is really about being observant of our surroundings. That's what the word mindfulness. So you can become mindful washing your hands. Mm -hmm. You're just noticing the temperature of the water on your hands. You're noticing the slip and slide of the soap and the bubbles, and you notice the feel of that washing away. So it's really about observing your, your sensory experience. So we do something called the five senses. So we notice uh, like five sights in our environment. What am I looking at? Four sounds, three smells, two tastes, and one texture or something we feel. Okay. So yeah, just kind of tuning into that like, okay, I'm getting overwhelmed. What's my five, four, three, two, one. I like that. Yeah. And I often, you know, we, we say things like we need to rest and relax. And so often we say, but I have to dot, dot, dot. <laughs> so I really want us to challenge that. Do we have to? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we might want to, or are we really just have toing ourselves to, you know? Yes. You know, so we need to be careful about the have tos and challenge like, what happens if I don't? Probably not, most often, not much. There may be some disappointed people, but the people who really matter in our lives, they'll get it and they'll help us to the next thing, you know? Sure. So in some of that rest and relaxation is progressive relaxation. I strongly recommend that people YouTube this, progressive relaxation. And it is really about starting at the toes and tensing those muscles and holding and holding and slowly releasing. And you're going to go up the body all the way. It can help get us through tense moments. It can also help us with sleeplessness because that's really difficult. You'd be surprised how often with numbness, particularly in the extremities for chronic graft versus host disease, some of that tensing, it's like, oh my goodness, for the first time I've begun to have a little feeling down there. Like, oh, I kind of reclaimed some toes. <laughs> Sometimes it can be painful, but you know, you don't want to do it to the point of pain. But just note, I've had a lot of people who've been like, wow, yeah, I can really feel myself become more whole. And that's really what we're looking for. Yeah. Terrific. Putting your feet up. And I always say way up. 
Okay. So not just above your heart, but like literally, like if you can sit in an L for about 20 minutes, you'd be surprised how calming it is. Really? Yes. I'm going to try that after this. Yeah. There's some really good data through Mayo Clinic and their sleep site that really shows why that is, that basically you're helping the body get like that full um, oxygenation of the blood and we get calm, you know, because we tend to be oxygen addicts. And if we don't have it, we get a little anxious. So (laughs) returning that oxygen and getting a full oxygenated body, we feel great. It feels good. Okay. Wow, this is great. So, you know, utilizing things like guided imagery is great. And I did provide some apps for guided imagery and mindfulness. So maybe we can provide that later. And then I really want people to know that self-care is not selfish. Mm -hmm. Speak compassionately and be appreciative of yourself. You know, self-care is not selfish. You and your body have gone through a lot and you're doing amazing things every single day. And even this graft versus host is your immune system working hard for you. And so offering some compassion and self-care back to that is really going to loosen up all that darkness that seems to come in when we're doing the shoulds, I should, I should, you know. I couldn't agree more on that as far as the self-care. We, t- we always say that about the caregivers mm-hmm. to make sure they have the self-care, but you bring up such a very good point. The, the patients and survivors need to have that self-care and give themselves a break. Yeah. I mean, if we could liberally apply compassion and self-care to all of us, I think we would be in a much better place. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is terrific, Julianne. And I just wanted to mention that all of these apps and ideas and articles, anything like that, we can include in the show notes so people can grab them. All right, let's let's take some time for a few more techniques before we wrap things up. Yeah. One thing I would really hope that people can maybe focus on is paying attention to like, are we disaster imagining or catastrophizing? We can make a mountain out of a molehill. Anybody can. And when we've been through a trauma um, and multiple traumas, we can do it even faster, unfortunately. So I have people draw three columns, and one column is what's in my control, one column is what's out of my control, the last column is what's within my influence. And so then we go through a process of evaluating, you know, what have we got going on? So this is something I I regularly do in therapy, and I literally will have people draw three columns. And what I notice is that oftentimes when we're anxious, we've got so many things in our area of control that don't belong there. We're trying to control things that aren't ours. It's hard. We got to let go and move them to out of my control column, you know. Sure. Or recognize that we may have influence but not control. So we need to move them to the right column. On the flip side, you know, when we have everything out of control, we likely are experiencing some depression. We Everything's out of my control. I can't, con- you know. And well, there might be some things that I need to take responsibility for, and I need to do what I can. And so again, moving things back into the correct column that they belong in, kind of realigning can be really helpful for us and seeing what really is going on. Yeah, it's a great idea. I like that a lot. And I think 
it also gives you the control of being able to control the columns. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes just writing it down, it's like, oh, I feel better already. You know, I do that all the time. If I'm just feeling anxious about whether it's work or the weekend, if I write things down, it's almost like I can let them go a little bit. Yeah. And I won't forget to worry about them later. <laughs> right. Exactly. Which is kind of funny because I, you just said exactly one of the other techniques is making a time and a place for worry, you know? Yes. So remember, what we said is that we don't want to live without a fire alarm. Worry is a fire alarm. It's one of the ways that it keeps us safe, right? So that we don't forget to call the doctor and schedule that follow-up or whatever that is, right? So sure. instead of trying to shut it all off and deny it, we need to make a little bit of time for worry. We have a little box I have that I work with people like, Let's think about like, it should not be more than 20 minutes. If we're worrying for 20 minutes, more than 20 minutes on something, then we're down in a rabbit hole and we're really struggling to get out, you know? Mm -hmm. So we have to kind of create an internal frame or an internal box of about 20 minutes and then make it a clear set time, like in the shower mm -hmm. or driving to or from work or during morning coffee or... Yeah. So it's going to be a set time frame. And I, you know, this is a new task for people. So I literally tell them set a timer, because otherwise you could sit there for all day and not, you know, not even realize that you've spent all day worrying and give your brain permission to worry during that time. Okay, this is my time to worry. What do I want to worry on? What am I going to worry about? Yeah, it's funny, because when you actually set that parameter, now's time to worry. Sometimes the brain goes blank. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of like, well, what, what now? But that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Again, we're going to liberally apply that compassion and kind self talk. It's okay. And then, you know, just let your brain go. And then at the end of the 20 minutes, you can pack it into the box. If you didn't worry, it's okay, mm -hmm. there'll be time to worry later. So when your brain mm -hmm. starts nagging you, oh, I, now I've got something to worry about, you go, okay, wait a minute, it's not time yet. When it's time, we'll worry about that. And so this kind of gives you another amount of control, little by little, that you're not, you're reducing the amount of worrying that you're doing, and you're doing it in a controlled fashion. And sometimes your worry, it starts from worrying, and then all of a sudden it progresses to problem solving. And you're like, oh, well, look at that. That was good. You know, because not all worry is unproductive. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. So true. It's funny how many of these things I'm relating to my own life. And yeah. I just thank you so much for this. Absolutely. Yeah. So we want to make sure, too, that we're thought stopping. And we're just, you know, saying, okay, it's not time yet to worry. Stop. Not time yet. And that goes, you know, forward from there. Okay. And make room for organized boredom. Don't overschedule. Oh, my goodness. I have people who come and tell me all the things they have to do. And I'm like, maybe three of those are reasonable in a 24-hour period. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it's okay. Like, what would it be like if you only did three of those and you actually had time to do nothing? Uh-huh. Like, that could be all right. Yes. And, you know, coach yourself into it. If these things are really hard, and they can be, they're simple to say, difficult to practice, mm -hmm. you know, it's okay to get help. 
you know, seek a licensed professional counselor, a therapist, or a social worker. There's many organizations, a mentor, you know, even like you guys, you guys offer some great supports and getting that support is really critical. Well, thank you. It takes a village, right? It and that's does. What it does. We're trying to do here is just help people help themselves and enjoy their lives. Mm-hmm. The people that are listening to this, a lot of the long haulers, they have fought so hard to get where they are. And we applaud you. Yes. And we want you to just take all these little nuggets and enjoy life as much as you can. Take good care of yourself. Yeah. Be your own best parent. I love it. Well, Julianne, I think we're going to get ready to wrap things up. You gave us so much to think about and we appreciate you and all that you do and that your organization does. And I know that we are going to be asking you to do other things because this is just This is the core of our mission. I did want to mention too, we're going to do a whole podcast within this season on sleep issues. Hmm. So we will be covering not just fatigue, but we'll be covering many of the issues, especially related to GVHD. So it will go very nicely with a lot of the things that you said today. So I would just want to thank you again for everything. Do you have any final thoughts? Well, thank you. And I am so grateful and thankful for the opportunity to talk with you guys. Um, I'm thankful for your sponsors to make this possible. This, I mean, the work that all nonprofits do could not be done without good sponsors. And um, we have to do this together. Thank you for saying that because we feel that way about our sponsors. They make everything we do possible and they just have such big hearts. So I'm glad you said that. I should have said that. <laughs> but together we said it. See, we do it together. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Julian. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Well, thank you. You take care. This has been the Marrow Masters Podcast. If you know someone who would benefit from the information in our show, please share this episode with them via text, email, or social media. Don't miss an episode of our show. Follow the Marrow Masters podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now. To connect with the National Bone Marrow Transplant link, visit nbmtlink.org or follow the link in our show notes. The Marrow Masters podcast is produced by Jagged Detroit Podcasts.